We're going to turn in the scriptures to the book of Ezra and uh, the third chapter, Ezra and chapter 3. Ezra and chapter 3. And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the custom, as the duty of every day required, and afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and of all the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and of every one that willingly offered a freewill offering unto the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. They gave money also unto the masons and to the carpenters, and meat and drink and oil unto them of Zidon and to them of Tyre, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa, according to the grant that they had of Cyrus king of Persia. Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem, and appointed the Levites from twenty years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel, and his sons, the sons of Judah, together to set forward the workmen in the house of God, the, son of, the sons of Henadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers, who were ancient men, that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Amen. Thank the Lord for this reading of his word. Let's bow our heads and ask his help. <clears throat> our Father, as we turn once again to the scriptures this morning, we pray, Lord, that they might be pertinent to our situation in these days. We pray, Lord, that we might recognize the importance of the altar, Lord, of the work of Jesus Christ upon that altar, of the communion of the people around that altar. 
Lord, the free will offerings and all of that which was done in those days in the restoration of the land. Lord, we pray that we also might seek thee first above all things. Lord, that we might set down first uh, that altar around which we come, even that altar which we read of in Hebrews, that they have no right uh, to eat at who serve the tabernacle. Lord, we pray that we might know Jesus Christ, that we might seek him, that we might call upon him, Lord, that we might seek thee with all of our hearts, and Father, that we might know thy presence with us and thy strength, and that we might see the good hand of the Lord upon us, even as it was upon Ezra and upon Nehemiah, upon Joshua also, and Zerubbabel. Lord, we pray that we might see thy hand in these days. Thou art able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Lord, if we have faith as a grain of mustard seed, thou hast said, we might say unto this mountain, uh, be thou removed, be cast into the midst of the sea. We pray, Lord, that that seed may grow, that it might become a mighty power of faith. And Lord, that thou would use us uh, greatly in these days. Hear us then, we ask thee, continue with us now in the Saviour's name, we pray. Amen. So as we see this third chapter of Ezra, uh, we need to put it in its historical context and remember that this is after the captivity. We think about the ruin which came upon the land of Israel uh, in the days of Isaiah and the days of Jeremiah uh, and Ezekiel, uh, Daniel also, who was a god. <laughs> excuse me, was also uh, away in that captivity, Esther and uh, those prophets who followed after Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi. Uh, those times are what we're thinking about. The apostasy which caused this uh, was the departure from the Lord, how the children of Israel forgot the Lord, how they set up their idols uh, under every green tree and upon the mountaintops, the high places. And we are in a similar situation in these days. This nation has known great greatness uh, over, the, over the years and over the centuries. I was reading in the paper uh, just uh, yesterday, I think it was, uh, how that uh, one of the politicians was saying that uh, Russia needs to be careful because they've always underestimated Britain. And I was thinking, but Britain uh, in the past, the United Kingdom in the past, has had the Lord because the people worshipped. Uh, it was a Protestant nation. Since it came to be a Protestant nation, I don't think that we have lost a war, but there is no longer a Protestant nation. It is now corrupt. Uh, the moral turpitude of the, of the people is blatant and uh, to be seen, uh, uncovered and clear to the eye. The Lord doesn't need to go uh, searching uh, for blood, but can see it openly. And the people's heart, faces are hardened, uh, and there is a resistance against the things of God, and there is a denial of God, and the judgment of God could easily come upon us in days such as this. Well, the judgment of God did come upon Israel. Uh, the people were taken away. And later on, the people of, uh, of Judah were also taken away and carried away into captivity. But in this uh, book, we are reading of how the, the Lord remembered them. And we are hoping and praying that the Lord would remember us also in these days. And that those uh, uh, promises of the Lord, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, that they might be uh, certainly fulfilled in us and in the work of God, not just in this place but across the country. 
And so there is a great pertinence in what is going on here uh, to us in these days uh, that we might learn something from Ezra and from the people who returned to the land of Israel at this time and what they did and what they did first. So what we read of in this chapter is the first thing that was done when they returned. It wasn't the building of the walls of Jerusalem, but it was the erecting of the altar of God. In fact, even the temple itself had not begun to be raised once again. Uh, but the altar is the first thing <coughs> which they build. And that needs to be something that we uh, recognize in our own lives. The altar is all important. Now, our altar is Jesus Christ. Our altar is not one which goes at the front of a church uh, upon which the, uh, the table of the Lord is set. But it is the altar of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read together there in Hebrews and chapter 13, it says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach or well, here have we no continuing city but we seek one to come by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to god continually that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name and we are to come through the lord jesus christ so christ needs to be central in our lives and needs to be the first thing uh, above all else we can look around us in these days and say, well, what can we do in the church so that we uh, might get people to attend it, so that people might be desire to come into it? Well, the desires of the flesh, of course, are not after God. There is none that seeketh after God. No, not one. The apostle Paul writes, and the psalmist also. And so uh, the desire is not for the things of God. The desire is not to come and to worship God. But what needs to happen is that we, as the people of God, build the altar. That we are right before God. That we are drawing near to the Lord. And that is what I seek to draw from this chapter this morning. And probably this evening too. Uh, I think I'll probably continue on this evening because there's a lot to be said even from this short chapter. So the first thing I want to draw your attention to is the altar that characterized the revival and we might continue to say that the altar is their primary objective now they could have come back to israel and discussed the plan of action uh, they could have set up a committee and sat down together and say well what needs to be done and uh, perhaps we could work in this particular way and, and uh, we, we can cover ourselves and and sort out things and we'll get back to what needs to be done in the end it could have been that they would say, well, first of all, surely what we need to do is to clear away the rubbish. Uh, later on, we read of Nehemiah and how that uh, they cleared away the rubbish. That is the stones which have been knocked down from the walls of Jerusalem and the gates which have been smashed and burned and the houses uh, which had fallen and, and turned to rubble in the midst of the place. They could have said that the first thing we need to do really is to clear up. We need to tidy up. If we can tidy up the city, then we can get on with the more important things. Uh, but I know from uh, my own experience and I know from, uh, from obs observations that very often what we do is we, we tinker around the edges and we seek to clear away the rubbish before we actually get to what needs to be done. 
And we do all the simple things first. And the most important things we leave until last. And we need to be uh, considering those things round the other way. They didn't clear the rubbish first. What they did was they built the altar first. The other thing they could have said was, well, well, we're in danger here. We have returned to this land, but now there are peoples from uh, across the, the empire of Assyria. And there are people who are against us and would seek to slay us and seek to destroy us still. And so what we really need to do is to build the walls. We'll start with the walls, we'll build up the walls, and then we can get on with repairing the, the temple when we are protected. But they don't do that either. Rather, they had uh, learned dependence upon God in those years of their deprivation. And God had delivered them, of course. Or we think of Esther in the time of Esther and how that um, there was this plan of Haman to destroy all the Jews from the whole of the kingdom right out to India. And how that God had raised up Esther for such a time as this. And how that they had been delivered. And that God had been with them. It was God who had delivered them. It was God who had raised up Esther. It was God who had put Esther into the palace. It was God who had had his hand upon all these things to deliver his people. And that's who we need in these days. It is the Lord in the midst of us. It is the power of God. Because God is able to do what we cannot do. We're not to be building up the walls, but we are to be seeking the Lord. Let the walls fall. Let us uh, just be in the midst of, uh, of the enemies. The Lord prepares a table for us in the midst of our enemies. Our cup runneth over. The altar then is their primary objective. They had learned dependence upon God while they had been away in captivity. And now they are returning, and the first thing they desire to do is to worship the Lord. The first thing they recognize that they need to do is to offer sacrifices to the Lord. It is to put that redemption first. It is to put first their communion with God. And we all know, I, I, I hope, that the first thing that we need uh, in communion with God is for our sins to be cleansed. We need to be holy that bear the vessels of the Lord. We need to be righteous, and that righteousness comes from God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The altar needs to be our primary objective. Because one of the things which has been uh, termed the altar for us in these days and in past days in this land is that family altar as we gather around the word of God and uh, it's termed an altar I'm not quite sure why it's called the family altar uh, because we're not offering uh, particular uh, sacrifices I suppose the sacrifices of our lips uh, may be acceptable there uh, again as we read from Hebrews 13 uh, it tells us that those things are acceptable sacrifices in verse 16, but to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So there are sacrifices, the sacrifices of our lips in praise and in prayer. So perhaps that's the, uh, the reason for that terminology. But I wonder, what is our family altar? Do we spend time with our family in the presence of God? Do we open up the word of God to read it? Do we seek the Lord from day to day? Remember what Daniel said, and it was Daniel who, uh, who prayed before these things began to come to pass because David had uh, Daniel had read in the book of Jeremiah that it was to be 70 years and he brought those things before the Lord and he confessed the sins of the people and he confessed his own sins and he confessed the sins of his fathers 
And he came before the Lord and he pleaded before the Lord that the, the nation might be returned for the 70 years were up. And Daniel uh, prayed before the Lord and he put it first, even to the point of being cast into the den of lions because he would not cease to pray and he would not ask a petition of anyone but of the Lord. Our prayer is very important and our time of prayer with our family is very important. And to get them also to understand the importance of prayer. So the first thing is the, that altar is their primary objective. The second is that the sacrifice is central. Because around the sacrifice here, the people are united. The, the people come together. Uh, as we see there in verse 1, it says, uh, And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man, to Jerusalem they gathered themselves together as one man then stood up Jeshua the son of Josadak and his brethren the priests and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and his brethren and builded the altar of God of the God of Israel it's a central point isn't it and for there to be a unity amongst God's people that unity needs to be somewhere and there are all kind of different unities which we might have. We might have a, a unity over this doctrine or over that doctrine. Uh, of course, there are different denominations within the church in these days. Uh, it, we have lots of different names of churches as well in these days. But it used to be in this nation that there were those who were Methodists. There were those who were Baptists uh, who set the doctrine of baptism very highly amongst themselves and disagreed with other forms. There were those who were ep Episcopalian, who had a hierarchy of bishops and, uh, and priests and all kinds of things coming down from the top, working down, uh, top down. Uh, there were Presbyterians, of course, and doctrine there. But the thing which unites us in all of the different denominations is Christ. It is salvation through Christ. Now those denominations may or may not uh, seek Christ and they may have departed and may have become uh, heretical, uh, some uh, certainly, and uh, others who have just departed from that central tenet of, of Christ um, in the midst. But the unity we are to have is around Jesus Christ. It is the salvation of Christ. We are called by the Lord to preach the gospel, and the gospel is the good news of Christ. Christ needs to be central. And our families need to be uh, centered around Christ. And our church needs to be centered around Christ. And his glory and the exaltation of Christ. And it will, we come together, as the disciples did, after the, uh, the ascension of Christ into the upper room. And they were there, the Bible says, with one accord in one place. One accord. They were all agreed. And we need to have an agreement. See, the sacrifice here is central. The people are united. And Christ always is central to a revival. We need a revival in these days. We need to be awakened. We need a, a life to come into the midst of God's people. And when all are seeking Christ, there is a unity. Without sacrifice, we are not acceptable. We, we come through Jesus Christ. And only Christ can protect us from all of the enemies of the gospel. We need Christ. We need to have the altar in the midst of us. We need to be praying. We need to be seeking his face. 
many thoughts can arise in our minds and many plans can arise what we can do and how things could be better people sometimes depart because they are uh, dissatisfied with this or that and dissatisfaction might separate the people but our satisfaction needs to be in Christ and seeking him and desiring him then we see thirdly that the altar is rebuilt by the highest dignities by Jeshua and his brethren the priests and by Zerubbabel and his brethren the princes so here we have the uh, rulers the spiritual and the temporal dignities of the land coming together that they might do the service of the Lord here is a sign of the power of God working in their midst uh, remember that this is uh, founded upon prayer it is founded upon the prayer of Daniel which is recorded for us and no doubt the, de- the prayers of many others as well uh, we can think of, of Esther uh, as one and her, uh, um, her uncle Mordecai also and how he would pray and the Jews across the nation seeking to be restored lots and lots of prayer again central and all important that we seek the Lord's face and here the highest dignities of the of the people are drawn together that they might rebuild this altar we need a great awakening amongst God's servants and we are all God's servants but the people had come together as one man to Jerusalem fourthly we can see that the altar is rebuilt on its old foundations it is set up on his bases verse 3 and they set the altar upon his bases for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries they set the altar upon his bases and of course the foundation is always the same uh, their uh, other foundation paul writes in first corinthians three eleven. other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is jesus christ and the cross work of christ and its effects never change the foundation needs to be the old foundation we recognize that when the reformation began it was because of men who were seeking out the truth of the scripture particularly we remember martin luther and how that he picked up the scriptures and he began to read the uh, the writings of uh, augustine uh, who, he was an augustinian monk of course luther and he began to read those writings And he began to go back to the scriptures and read the things that were written in the scriptures and found that the church had departed from them. And his desire was to rebuild upon the foundation which God, which Christ had laid. His purpose wasn't to destroy the church of Rome. He didn't want to leave the church of Rome. He had a belief at that time in the beginning that the church of Rome was the church, but that it needed to be reformed, that it needed to come back to the scriptures. But of course, there was a great resistance against coming back to the scriptures. And we have a similar problem in these days that uh, people don't want to base what they teach upon the scriptures. People are not interested in the scriptures. They don't mind coming and listening to someone uh, who has a, a, a tinkling voice. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul again writes and, and says that they will uh, heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and hearing what they want to hear but here 
we need to be teaching what the scriptures teach and we need to be com uh, compliant with the word of God what people like in these days is to make the word of God compliant to them and so we'll change the meanings of things and uh, we'll water it down and we'll give interpretations which well uh, they may be a bit tenuous but they work and if they're preached enough people will begin to believe them we need to that revival we need to return we need a reformation once again to come back to the word of god what does the word of god say let's not compromise with the world the word of god has never been a compromise with the world the word of god is god's word it is god's way and that way is the right way so the altar is rebuilt on its old foundation seeking out the old paths the scripture says and that is what we must do we need to come back to the word of God and make it our foundation and that our understanding is based upon it. Now that requires us reading it, doesn't it? it we need to read the word of God. We need to think about what we're reading too. Very easy to read the word of God and not really get anything out of it because we're not really making our attention or giving our attention to understand what it's saying. And we need to be careful uh, in our interpretations of scripture. It's not a bad thing to see what other people have said. And you'll find uh, amongst uh, commentators uh, a great agreement. Sometimes there's difference, uh, differences of opinion on this or on that, but uh, of pretty much there's a great agreement. And particularly the older um, commentators, the more modern ones quite often are modernists, and they have their new uh, interpretations. But nevertheless, it is good to see what the word of God says. We need to hide that within our hearts. Then we see, <coughs> excuse me, fifthly, the altar is used daily. It is used daily. We read there in verse 4, they kept also the feast of tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom as the duty of every day required. And afterward offered the continual, continual burnt offering, both of the new moons, uh, 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 <coughs> new moons and of all the set feasts of the lord that were consecrated and of every one that willingly offered a free will offering unto the lord so it was in constant use constant use now this this altar wasn't just there for show it wasn't just there so that people can say well we've done well we've we've built the altar first and and we we recognize god first because then the altar just becomes an idol it just becomes something which represents something and it's not actually functioning. But this was a functioning altar. And again, we need to have a functionality about our Christianity. It needs to be working. It needs to be not just a word to say, yes, I'm a Christian. But it needs to be a functioning Christianity. that We serve the Lord. And it's interesting what time of the year this was. It's the beginning of the... Uh, of the um, <coughs> Uh, of the Jewish year, there are two, two Jewish years. One of them is uh, a secular beginning, one of them is a spiritual beginning. But here in the seventh month, uh, we find, and this is the, uh, the beginning of the year, and these, these uh, um, feasts are all in that, in that seventh month. You might like to look up in Numbers, uh, the, these feasts in Numbers chapter 29, we read in verse 1, and in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, ye shall have an holy convocation. 
we shall come together. Ye shall do no servile work. It is a day of blowing the trumpets unto you. And ye shall offer burnt offering for a sweet savour unto the Lord. One young bullock, one ram, seven lambs of the first year without blemish. And their meat offering shall be a flour mingled with oil. Three-tenths deals for a bullock and two-tenths deals for a ram. One-tenth deal for one lamb throughout the seven lambs. One kid of the goats is for a sin offering to make an atonement for you. Beside the burnt offerings of the month and the, his meat offering and the daily burnt offering and his meat offering and their drink offerings according unto their manner for a sweet savour, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. The feast of trumpets and they meet together at the beginning at this time. This is what they are doing. This is where they are beginning. They are coming back. And what was this feast? Well, it is to remember the deliverances which the Lord gave to them. Then on the tenth day of the month, the same month, is the day of atonement. And on the day of atonement, it says, Ye shall have, this is Numbers 29, verse 7, And ye shall have on the tenth day of this seventh month an holy convocation, and ye shall afflict your souls. Ye shall not do any work therein, but ye shall offer a burnt offering unto the Lord for a sweet savour. One young bullock, and so on, it goes through what the offerings are. But here is the day of atonement. It's a time to afflict their souls. It is a time to examine themselves before the Lord. It is a time when they are to remember in particular, uh, even though they're not actually remembering, but it is a foreshadowing of the death of Christ upon the cross. One sacrifice for sin forever. Here is this day of atonement. One day in the year where the atonement is made for the nation. And then on the 15th day of the month, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so this month is a very busy month for feasts. And on the Feast of Tabernacles, we read Numbers 29, verse 12, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, ye shall have an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work, and ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. Now here we have this uh, altar once again in function, uh, plus the daily offerings. They observe these feasts, uh, and they observe them accurately. You see there in verse 4, they kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offering by number according to the custom, as the duty of every day required. So here they are working and they are going back to the scriptures, back to the laws of Moses. They are seeking to be zealous for the Lord. You might remember in Second uh, Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, who has already... Um, written to them about a, a man who uh, was <coughs> committing adultery with his father's wife and how he had told them to put that person out of the church. He was to be excommunicated <coughs> and how that when they received that letter, he was worried that he would put them off, that he would, um, that he would cause them to be saddened, that they might depart. But instead of that, there was a zeal. And he said, it worked in you. What a zeal it worked in you. You see, these people are coming back from the land of captivity. They've come back to their own land, and now they are zealous for God. Some might say even overzealous for God, uh, where they were telling uh, people who had married uh, wives from other nations to put away their wives. And uh, perhaps that was uh, somewhat overzealous in some circumstances. But these things were done because there was a zeal for God. Oh, how we need a zeal for God in these days. How we, we 
desperately need amongst those who profess Jesus Christ that they would be zealous for the Lord. There are many who attend churches in these days, but there's, there's no zeal in their lives. They may be zealous in church. They might like to raise their hands and they might sing with all gusto and enjoy the service. They might hear the word, but when it comes to the rest of the week, there's no zeal for God. There's no desire to preach the gospel. There's no desire for souls. There's no desire for prayer. There's no desire for the word of God. But these people are zealous. These people desire the presence of the Lord. And they observed all of these set feasts accurately. And then they brought above and beyond what was required. There were requirements here. There were duties of the day. Again, verse 4. The custom as the duty of every day required. But then it goes on and says, Afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and of all the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and of every one that willingly offered a free will offering unto the Lord. You see, they're above and beyond. They are bringing their free will offerings as well as that which is required as a duty from them. So they come. And so we also need to serve the Lord. We might glorify him. And no doubt there must have been uh, those who had gone short to provide for the Lord's altar. Because these were people that had just come back out of captivity. They weren't really established yet and they were in a city where they were uh, bringing in the, the lambs and the goats for the, from the flocks or from the herds. It, it can't have been easy to supply all that was needed for the altar in those days. Nevertheless, God was coming first. The altar was central and they rebuilt it that they might know the presence of the Lord with them and that the Lord might establish them in the land. Or that we too in these days might seek to build in our lives and amongst ourselves the altar of the Lord. We might put Christ first, that he might be central, that he might be glorified, that our hearts might be committed to him and that the Lord would establish us as once we were established in our forefathers in this land. May the Lord bless us and may the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning.